Hello, welcome to Boss Woman, a podcast about women, comedy and business. My name's Katie and this is my mum, Karen. I apologise for my voice today. <laughs> um, you, you're a bit tired, Katie! <laughs> Just tired, very tired. Nothing, no Fair. other influences that have made my voice sound like this. Did I have to drag you out of bed? Mm. Not physically, by the way, because we don't live together. Yeah. But there's a couple episodes from last year where my voice was this deep. <laughs> it's actually not as bad as it was when you walked in that door. Good. <laughs> That's the main thing. Laura looks absolutely... Glowing. She looks feel... gorgeous, but you you can't talk about Laura until we've introduced <laughs> her. She's now got her head on the desk. <laughs> Who have we got on today, Karen? <laughs> very excited to have... Excited! We are very excited to have the very lovely Laura Lex, award-winning comedian, writer, actor, star of Live at the Apollo, nominated as Chortle's best compere three years in a row. Um... You've, you've written your first novel and a comedy drama option for TV. Wow. You are wonderful. You've done quite a... F- Hello, welcome, Hi. Laura. Hello, Laura. <laughs> Lovely to have I you I 100% here. agree with Chorto's top compares. You are one of the best compares oh, I've seen you. on stage. I like them. You're phenomenal. Thanks. <laughs> oh, this is nice. I could get up this early for this love it. Yeah, exactly. how, how did you get into comedy? Um, through university, I went to Kent University to do drama because I wanted to be like a serious actress type lady. <laughs> and then the course there is a three-year drama degree and then you specialise in your fourth year in something. So I chose Kent because I wanted to do radio production and like learn how to make sound effects and all that sort of stuff. And then through my like, three... <laughs> yeah, and like how, which like boards do you put in the room to make it sound like outdoors or indoors and scripted stuff for radio. Oh, brilliant. And then through my three years at Kent they slowly kept dropping all of the fourth year options that I wanted to do so by the time I hit my fourth year the only two that you could perform for were something like contemporary performance which I was a bit like nah that's not me or stand-up comedy Um, and then by then I'd been doing about three years of improv comedy with the uni like just the um which call it like the drama society improv group we is that in. how you met your husband it is yeah because the because he's in, in improv yeah so he's in the noise next door which were like five of them left a bit earlier than the rest of us they were the year above and they went off and formed the professional group the noise next door um and then i was sort of there in my fourth year thinking well, i don't really want to stop doing live comedy so i think i'll do the fourth year module in stand-up because it was really interesting because it wasn't really like fourth year module in stand-up universities have moved on it was really cool because it wasn't like a it wasn't a course to teach you how to be a stand-up it was more like let's look at the psychology of humor and why does comedy work better in like a small box tight room than a massive room why does it work better if the audience all sat together instead of spread out like what makes it work and what doesn't work and how Mm. do you structure it and and stuff like that and sort of analyzing old stand-up routines and stuff and looking at like what are the layers and how does it build and it was just fascinating and then like i think part of it was you so you were you actually started going out and doing stand-up while you were at uni? Yeah. You had to do 10, I, ten gigs, I think, and do a portfolio on 
whether they went well or badly and what contributed to that like was it you was it the room Mm -hmm. what do you think and I just found it so addictive I didn't really think I was going to do it as a career but I just figured it seemed like you could start off in comedy and keep acting and other things going and it seemed like a decent way into starting and then the longer I did it the more I was like well acting's rubbish (laughs) stand-up's great so I just stopped acting altogether but Yes, but uh, it would it is great to be able to do both, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And that's another thing I found in the early years of when I was auditioning for things, is as a comic you rock up to an audition and you've gigged three or four times that week, so you're quite ready to go and jump mm. into anything. Whereas the actors, they were only going to auditions unless they were in a production. Mm. And acting's quite stop and start, like you do a year if you're lucky or a fringe in a show yeah. and then you've got to wait for somebody else to say yes again to do anything else and whereas stand up and I suppose yeah. you rely on your agents to put you up for things don't yeah, you yeah I think so mm-hmm. I mean not that I did it maybe I'm wrong but that's how it looked from the outside from being a comic was just kind of going well I liked that you could have a vague idea in the morning and say it that night and see how it went. Yeah. Whereas acting just seems a bit slower and I'm very impatient. So <laughs> I just wanted to get on. And when did you first do your first solo... When did you first, 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 <laughs> first, first. do your um, first solo hour? Uh, 2015 was my first... Is that right? Yeah, I think so. 2015. Uh, it was called Lovely... Um, and it was so you've of, done four then? Yes, that's my yes, fourth solo hour, yeah. Brilliant. And how far, what was the gap between you studying at university, starting and then doing your first hour? Six years. So I, I first did, my first ever gig would have been something like December 2008 or January 2009. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, I did my first... I went full-time as a comic and did my first hour in about 2015, so it took me about six years to be able to drop all other work and focus on this. And then I did two fringes in a row, 2015, 2016. I had to have 2017 off, and then I've done 2018 and 2019. Yeah, and you've had two phenomenal years with us. Yeah, since I moved to Gilded. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the last two years have been amazing, actually. Yeah. And you pack so much into an hour. (laughs) My God, it is incredible. Um, You know, I mean, now it's a lot about the environment and political and, you know... um, And the, the, the show I saw before, which was your last show, was incredibly emotional, very mm. emotional for you. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I always think if I was a deadpan comic, I could write half the material I do. Like, mm-hmm. I just yeah. think, so, well, that was part of the reason this year I wrote the show I've done this year. It was last year the show was all about why I'd had 2017 off mm-hmm. and coming back from like a pretty serious nervous breakdown. And it was a show I'm really proud of, but it hurt to do it every day. Oh it was yeah. really Goodness. difficult to get it out every yeah. day. And like also walking that line of going, I never wanted that show to stop being very real to me, but it was a performance. Yes. But I didn't want to be turning it on. So mm-hmm. I was yeah. trying to find how I really felt every day with it. So there were lines in it where I was sort of going... Like there was a line where I sort of would say, oh, and then... I, I had to say I got my period on this holiday and it was like the next month that I hadn't fallen pregnant. And I sort of never chose a way to say that line so I could kind of go with how it felt every day. So if there was a day where I was all right, I'd be like, yeah. And then I found out that day. And then like the day at the fringe that I'd come on my period 
at the fringe was like and I found out today again as well yeah, yeah. I'm still not having and, a baby and, yeah. just to explain that the the show was really about your desire to become pregnant yeah coupled with this absolute terror of becoming pregnant because yeah. I sort of developed this awful fear of global warming and climate change and I was I desperately want children I still do but I couldn't sort of reconcile that with how I was feeling about the planet and mm. about the future of it and about how I felt personally about the moral responsibility of creating life which mm. sounds so wanky mm. I'm so aware that that's like <laughs> such a tedious thing to say but, but it really funny to think about mind. it more people it's some you know there's a lot of people that haven't thought about it and people do yeah. really need to think about it and I sort of I just pray I just so wished that I could have been somebody that just didn't think about yeah, it I yeah, just, just love to just care, not yeah. think about just things being completely just selfish yeah. on. so this year with knee jerk what I really wanted to do was I don't want to walk away from difficult subjects but I also I don't want to make the same show again there's no point yeah. just rehashing the same stuff so this year I was sort of a bit more like I'd like to carry on with eco-anxiety and anxiety and climate change and my experiences of therapy and stuff but take it out a bit into the wider world and mm-hmm. just be a little bit more observant on things that aren't happening to me which is yeah it's been interesting it's sort of easier from an emotional perspective but also harder because I'm very aware that I was much more comfortable talking about my own lived experience because I knew it inside out mm-hmm. whereas commenting on other people's opinions of Brexit or whatever is just not my own lived experience so I could get it wrong and that's kind of I know, scary in another within way. all that that is comedy. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I think that's what I've tried to say with this show is that I am about as far from an edgelord as you can get. Mm. I have no desire to upset people or polarise people. So how do you talk about big stuff and complicated things without dividing the room? Like, how do you kind of go, I might be wrong, but this is what I think, but I'm not mad at you if you disagree with me. It's really been quite a challenge to get the balance of that right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. And I can see you developing as a comic amazingly. I mean, you know, you do touch people and, you know, just everything you talk about is incredible. Oh, thank you. And so what we want to know is take you back to your childhood. (laughs) Um, How was your childhood? Amazing. I'm a very privileged person in terms of family, (laughs) massively. I've got four siblings. I've got two amazing parents. Um... I'm very close with my siblings. I was sort of... Um, my older sister's three years older than me and then I came along. And then there was a five-year gap between me and my younger sister. And then I think another four years before my brother came along. So, oh, thank God a boy came along. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're quite sort of... My older sister and I really got the best of all worlds because we got two years of being the primary focus of, like fairly well-off parents Mm. um, or at least comfortable parents and then sort of five-year gap and then the other two came along which made everything a little bit more stretched a lot more stretched (laughs) but we'd already benefited from these like five amazing years of just the two of us but then we get the plus side of having two extra siblings now we're adults to to hang out with so I would class myself as in the top one percent of family owners really yeah I'm so (laughs) lucky with my family where did you grow up Somerset, down hmm. in the West Country. So again, like... You don't have a Somerset just, accent. No, well, my parents aren't from Somerset. Katie croaked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's actually Edinburgh-born. 
um, but oh, raised really? in South Africa. Yeah, my whole family's Scottish, so I'm only oh. English because I was born there. Oh, um, for and then my mum's Sussex born to sort of Scottish parents, but again, um, yeah, she's got. They're both quite RP. So, so your your father grew up in South Africa. Yes, I think he lived in Edinburgh for a year or so, and then mm-hmm. out to South Africa mm-hmm. until he was. I think early teens. My dad's life's really shady. I can never quite <laughs> pin down the details. I yeah, don't move yeah. it around a lot, but my grandfather was South African and my grandmother's Edinburgh. Um, so she's got an Edinburgh accent, actually. But no, so my grandfather was the captain of the shipping port in Durban. So they were sailing for huge parts of my dad's life. So I think wow. he was in boarding schools all over the place. I like the way you say you think you, you obviously don't sit your father down and say, now, Dad, no. tell me about no. your, your it's life. Shady, it's it's shady. That's it's shady. Like, it's one of those people where every time like you go for a drive with him or something or you hang out and he'll drop a fact in and you go, well, when the hell did this happen? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. When was this part of your life? But He's funny, my dad, because he's one of those people where you absolutely know he loves you but it's very slow to get it out <laughs> like do you know what I mean like he came, they came, came up to the fringe for the first time this year my mum comes quite often my dad came up this year and they came to see the show and my mum went oh your hair is shiny when you're on stage <laughs> which is Where, nice yeah it's lovely like that was it and then after a while we sort of sat having a drink and my dad just sort of quietly went you do know I, I think you're getting quite good at this girlie <laughs> thanks dad thanks Aww. I really remember him a few years ago. I can't remember what we could do. This was before I was full time, I think. And he um, he he got in touch. And I will preface this with: I know he's fully supportive of me, and he loves mm-hmm. me because he just does. But he said, uh, said the thing is, I've been watching a lot of these comedians, and like Sarah Millican, and you know all these other ones. And the thing about them is, they've got a real USP. And I think you just need to work out if there's something special about you. <laughs> Okay, Dad. <laughs> well, you don't have a pot, you don't have a potty mouth for one thing. You know. <laughs> Which is something to be proud of, I see. Um, yes. So your mum. Mm. What does your mum do? Tell us about your mum. Mum's a teaching assistant, or a senko. Is that what they're called now? I'm not. Um, she's, don't ask me. <laughs> I don't know if teaching assistants derogatory in any way. I don't think it is. But um, yeah, she's a classroom assistant, sort mm-hmm. of teaching assistant. She's done that for years now. And she had four children school. as well. Oh, crikey, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's raised us. I haven't heard that expression for a while. Crikey. <laughs> oh, crikey. <laughs> That's the opposite thing, a potty mouth. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, jeans. Um, uh, literally from the 50s. Um, yeah, she's a teaching assistant. She loves it. She's so good with young children. She's. I think that's the thing about my mum is she's kind. Mm. She's just one of those people that is the first to be kind in any situation. Well, it yeah. sounds to me like she doesn't rely on your dad, that she comes up here on her own to Edinburgh. Yeah, that's been quite a new thing for her. So my mum got really ill a few years ago. I'm sure she wouldn't mind me talking about this. She had a thing called viral encephalitis, oh my goodness. which is sort of like meningitis, and right. it makes your brain swell. Wouldn't so we came quite close to losing her, really out of the blue. Mm. Um, and then she lost a lot of her short-term memory, um, like she couldn't remember what we were called her children um, and she sort of really struggled with grasping things and she really sort of pulled herself back from that and I think it's made her a lot braver because mm-hmm. she's 
she, life's for living. Yeah. yeah, she's. I think she can be quite timid naturally, but mm. I'm. It's been a really nice thing. Like she's currently in Sri Lanka, mm. traveling with a cousin of hers that she like re met up with through wow. Facebook. And oh, good honor. Yeah, it's not stuff that I would have thought she'd have done like 10, 15 years ago. But sure. now she's found that bravery of going. No, I don't know what I'm waiting for to start getting on with this stuff, and she's yes. yeah. started to go and do it because my parents they're they're quite good in a way because they're very together but they're also very separate so like my dad has this yacht that he's been doing up for the last three or four years five ten years <laughs> forever time, yeah. and uh, he's sort of planning to go off and travel on that in retirement like when he can retire mm. and go and live on that and stuff and I'm mum's sort of not oh. really planning to go with him she's kind of planning to visit yeah. do her own thing and it's quite exciting it's what was your relationship like when you were growing up with your mum pretty good pretty good it's I think as I'm a classic middle child I probably complained about it a lot <laughs> more than I should have done but yeah. your sister's how much three years older than you yeah my older sister's three years and then five years younger. so she hit teenagehood obviously before you yeah so the the girl teenage Angst and they, know how to, they knew how to handle yeah, you, is what you're saying. Definitely. Sorry, I, <laughs> I think Sarah, my older sister, she was a lot more rebellious than I was, but even that, like minorly, she's very well behaved too. Mm-hmm. So I think she kind of, yeah, she took a lot of the sort of like the wind resistance yeah. for me. I sort of got to yeah. slipstream behind her a little yeah. bit. Everything was a bit. But that easier. happened all the time with. A second yeah. child or a third child or whatever, they did, get out, did away you, with a lot more. Yeah. Did you get grumpy and confused and confused. angry? And yeah. I mean, my teenagers, yeah, definitely. Me and my sister, we were sort of pretty close, but we argued a lot. But then sisters just do, don't they? Mm-hmm. And then I think we were sort of close enough together that we were really great from about 17 onwards. Mm-hmm. But up until then, I think we might have been a little bit too close together to... Ganging up on your parents. Yeah. <laughs> and we were quite different. I was always... I was such a boring child. I'm really... I'm always really willing to follow a rule. <laughs> if you tell me that something needs doing, I'll do it. You tell me what time to be there, I'll be there. You tell me that a thing is a thing. And it takes me a long time before I question it. I'm quite <laughs> compliant. Yeah. Um, so I think it's only since... I got a lot older that I started to question things without just following them Going willingly. It, yeah. I yeah. reckon that's probably being the younger sister. Do you do what Katie does with me and say you're not to buy plastic bottles? Yes. Are you are you like that with your parents? Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot, a lot. My parents are pretty good, I think. Mum's quite environmentally aware. I noticed but, in England that they're, um, the way they do the rubbish is not as as good as here the recycling recycling oh, and everything it's so varied from county to county like mm. so my sisters both still live in Somerset and my younger sister they don't do plastic recycling in Somerset really they just don't have it so whenever I visit my little sister hands me a couple of massive bags and I oh, stick them in the boot and plastic. take them back to Brighton my god and recycle it there really yeah they just don't do it, and they said that you know the, they're sort of working on it, but they've got to get the right vans and stuff. Yeah. And it's like in Brighton, we're Green Council, and we don't have food recycling. Yeah. And you just think, 
Oh, come on, you should be working on this. I know. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's quite good in Scotland, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, everything just seems better. <laughs> <laughs> Apart from the weather. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that has been biblical this year. So, um, I've written here, depression about trying for a baby. Um, you did have a... a yeah. Terrible. You, you said you had a breakdown. Yeah, I was... Is it difficult to talk about? No, it's not. It's, I think, because now I sort of... I've talked about it so many times now that it's kind of okay. You, it's when I sit down and think say, about it. In your show, you said, I'm barren, and I... <laughs> <laughs> me. I like I reclaiming the word barren. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It's an interesting one for me, because <clears throat> we did try for a baby for a couple of years, two and a bit years, which is not that long to try, really. You know, lots of people would try for that sure. long. And uh, I medically, I probably could have children if I did you know the, the right stuff that, and mm-hmm. jump through the hoops but because it is paired with this anxiety that I just find crippling mm-hmm. I've just drawn a line under it and gone okay I'm just not gonna have biological children mm-hmm. and I would just put it out of my head um but yeah I've, I found it really difficult I still do that that's one thing that I just can't get my head around is that how I can be so sure that biological children's probably not for me mm-hmm. that's a decision I've made rather than one that's been handed to me yeah but, and yeah, I see a pregnant woman and go, oh my God, I'm so mm. jealous, I want that. Yeah, well, and at the same time, going I through that kind of thing. You? Well. Yeah. Well, just very broody. It's so difficult, isn't it? But because I don't have a partner, hand, so I don't have a... <laughs> <laughs> not have an excuse at all. I just think, uh, as a woman, you get to a certain age and your body just... Yeah, just wants, wants it. it. And it's so difficult. Like, one of the things that I find a lot freeing, a lot more freeing about the idea that we will adopt is that taking the biological imperative off the table gives me another 10 years of my career yeah. without taking a break from it or yeah. having to answer every interview be like, how is it troubling having a baby? I've yeah, never listen to a male comedian answer these questions Exactly, before. exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'll be about that. Yeah, but then I'm also like, I really struggle with the guilt and he tells me every day not to do it, but I cannot switch off the fear that I've stopped my husband having biological children because mm. mentally I can't cope with it and he says I wanted to adopt before I met you so don't really? stop making yourself the centre of yeah, this exactly. story it's something, not all about you some, it's something that we've talked about a lot in this podcast is about women and how they feel guilt mm. and the guilt hangs over them a lot more than it does for men I think yeah maybe and it's something that I've find I don't know going to the, into this job I find it really difficult that guilt factor and dealing with that and and you've, oh, I just remember Karen, from me growing up, her constantly feeling a guilty about not being with me or guilty about not, you know, just yeah. there was constantly. Well, I still, I still have guilt pangs. Yeah. But um, and it's not, it's not, it's not good for you to, you know, because yeah. it, it it weighs you down. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I've, I had lot of anger issues uh, growing up mm. um, and my anger issues were really my you know coming from my own guilt you know it's I was angry at other people but it was me I was angry at you know I, I mean I gave myself a hard yeah. time all the time and it's only in the last maybe 10 years I've, I've stopped yeah being as angry and you know and yeah. that's a lot to do with Katie growing up and, and coming back to Edinburgh and, you know, yeah. being involved. I mean, it's it's heartwarming it's so for difficult. me, you know. 
Because I grew up, my mum was always really good with me. I think she recognised that I'm quite depressive from really young. And she always made very clear that that was fine. She always said, we talk about it, you know, I knew from... I don't know, as long as I can remember, I knew that my mum was depressed and had was on antidepressants. That was never pretend yeah. that that wasn't happening. Um, but I also think for my early years, I can't believe that woman was going through what she was going through and switched it on every day to raise Four children. her children. Yeah, like, yeah. I just can't believe that. Yeah. But then I think I get that guilt as well, where I'm sort of one foot in the camp of going I'm fine about being honest about my mental health and I'm fine about admitting that I really struggle and some days I just cry all day Mm -hmm. and I have real trouble but my other foot is in this camp of going I can do absolutely anything I have to be a strong woman killing it at work all the time I can't hide behind feelings and (laughs) and I sort of I really struggle with that like am I letting people down if I admit that I'm sad and broken sometimes or am I letting people down if I cover that up and I'm not honest about it like, yeah. I think well my real... my generation certainly hide they they, yeah. they would hide at home and, and I'm quite guilty of that actually that I only put on the good face the the one thing that I've never been able to be good at is when people say hi how are you and I go um yeah and you, you know you always have to say oh I'm great fine you know when you're not and, and I'm actually not very good at it during the festival because, um, you know, I'm always worried about money or, you yeah. know. I mean, money is our, our big, yeah. you know, in business. I mean, everybody says, oh, the Gilded Balloon's so successful. It's successful to their eyes, but for us, you know, it's, it's yeah. hard. It's, it's so tough. hard and we wonder why we do it sometimes. <laughs> but we do it because of people like you, you know. Yeah. Having... We're very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, no, I was going to ask you, could you not just let everything happen naturally? I mean, not take contraceptive and if something happened, you know, because you, it's the kind of thing that if you adopt, then all of a sudden a child comes along, you know, yeah. and, and then accept that this child was meant to come into the world. Because, I mean, the reason you adopt is is because you'd like a child but also because that child's come into the world and there's nobody there to yeah you know so then you are doing a good thing absolutely I think for me I can't I couldn't carry on wondering constantly if I was pregnant yet Mm -hmm. it it's not like it's not like once a month you go today's the day I'm thinking about this because this is the day I do a test for me it was every single day of every month going Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. oh well what day of the cycle is this in? What do I need to be doing? Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. It was constant. And, yeah. mm-hmm. and then there'd be a week of building up to, okay, next week is the week where we find out if it's this month. And, yeah. you know, I just I just didn't want to do that anymore. And I only did it for two years. Like, some people do it for yeah, forever. Like, it's impossible. I've become obsessed by it. Yeah, it's really easy to. And then I just sort of thought, well, everything I want is motherhood. I want to look after somebody want to give somebody my husband as a father mm-hmm. I want all of this stuff I am just the thing I'm least bothered about is it being genetically mine yeah just doesn't bother me in the slightest mm-hmm. so the idea that yeah there'd be somebody out there who'd had a cruddy start and I could hand them all of my siblings as aunts and uncles give them two sets of amazing grandparents yeah it sort of felt like that takes away all of the 
all of the negatives that mm-hmm. I was feeling about trying to conceive. Mm-hmm. It just took it away. So have you started that process at all, or where are you at? Yeah, we're very, very we're early We're being very nosy. I know, <laughs> sorry, sorry. We're very early in it. The difficult thing is that you then... Like, nothing about having kids is in your control, is it? And it's impossible. Yeah. But we're, So we're now in a position where we have been to a couple of meetings we haven't formally started yet sure. because it's on a, a time deadline you have to do the whole thing within x amount of do months you? yeah oh really i thought yeah. it was it two years it took no it's, it's within a year it's about it's similar to a pregnancy really mm. but you you have to kind of do it but there's all sorts of loopholes and things you have to jump through sure um and they come and visit you in your home yes and- that's one thing that's really held us up is we don't own a house and so they do a health and safety check and obviously in rented accommodation it's almost impossible to get the landlord to do anything to <laughs> help you make that place suitable for children. Yeah. Um, because we're relatively close to being able to buy somewhere, Brexit notwithstanding, um, <laughs> we have decided to not formally start the process until we've owned somewhere that we can be like, this is where they'll be moving to. Yeah. Because um, they, they sort of, it's really good, all the background checks they do, but they sort of check that you've got a support network in the area that you're in, yeah. that you know the area well enough. And we just yeah. thought this will be a really hard set of interviews to go through if we're kind of going, and these are the areas we're looking at, and these are the friends that will be within driving distance yeah. if we're in yeah. any of those. So we're just going to wait until we can make it as smooth sailing as possible for ourselves. So are you looking for a house in Brighton? Brighton, yeah. That's that easy going? to do. <laughs> is it really? I can imagine trying to buy a house in Brighton is competitive. It's, yeah, I mean, it's not London, thank goodness, mm. but it's difficult. It's just, it's trying to get a mortgage with for two self-employed people yeah. is honestly... Yeah, like, you have to lie about your job title on, <sighs> on your all your forms. Yeah, and it's so frustrating where you're sort of going, look, we've saved up X deposit yeah. whilst renting on our income so we can pay this mortgage. Exactly. And the mortgage is the doing. same as our rent. Mm. And yet they go, oh, I don't know if you can afford it. And you go, well, we We're quite clearly it, yeah. can. Yeah. So, but obviously, with after the financial crash, it's all been a lot tighter, so... And are you political, do you think? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, because I, I thought it was hilarious when you you she asked the audience um, to name a football their favourite football team instead of mentioning <laughs> breakfast. Yeah, breakfast, breakfast. <laughs> oh, I always mention breakfast. Yeah, breakfast. <laughs> well, that was weird because in the previews, I really noticed I've got a little segment on Brexit in the middle of the show, mm. and um, as soon as I said Brexit, the audiences were getting really like. I know. Ugh. Yeah, they so, Yeah, and I think we're just tired of hearing about it. Of course and we are. We don't want to think about it, and we're not in... Con- it's, we've been blamed for it, because it was our vote, yeah. but we're now completely out of control for it, so yeah. it's just a really difficult thing to mentally sit with. So I decided, instead of doing that, I'd I get the audience, I sort of say to them, look, we're going to just unanimously decide what the best football club in the world is, and then we'll replace the word Brexit with that football club. So mm-hmm. it just kind of, if you're, instead of saying Brexit, you're saying Arsenal or whatever, yeah, yeah, and exactly. you're kind of going, Arsenal's been awful for the country, it yeah. just makes it a bit lighter. Yeah, 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 so, yeah exactly. Yeah, I am really political, but I also don't believe in blaming... Are you frustrated political? Because isn't everybody frustrated now? Because what Yeah, you... I'm really frustrated... But I don't believe in blaming people who disagree with me or voted differently to me. I believe in blaming the people that knowingly orchestrate mass information Mm -hmm. and who have the most to gain. Because I I don't think... 
you know, I, I vote Green Party. It's a very important thing to me that that voice is there. I don't believe that anything is more important than the environment and looking at what's happening with the weather and working out if A, we can control it and roll it back or B, do something to protect ourselves from it if it is unchangeable. Mm -hmm. Um, But just because somebody else's priority is Brexit and votes Brexit party, I don't necessarily want to jump to the extreme, the easy thing of hating them or blaming them or thinking they're stupid or calling them stupid. I'm more interested in looking at whether... I've been fed the wrong information and that's why my priorities are different or have they been fed the wrong, in inverted commas, information and that's why their priorities are different. And I think I've noticed a lot over the last five years that we seem to be back to this thing of things are difficult and the easy thing to do is blame a minority outsider and I'm 99% sure that minority outsiders have rarely been the problem in history so I can't logically see why they'd start being the problem now yeah. and so I'm uncomfortable with I'm uncomfortable with polarising politics because I think it's unhelpful mm-hmm. and while while the public are pulling in two different directions shady characters sneak through the middle and get power and that's yeah. the thing, it's so complex and you know it's you you want to make a difference and you can make a difference as far as um, the environment and everything mm. is concerned. But politics, because these, well, men in power, you know, I mean, there is women, but but mm. not enough, you know. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Like, I think I've sort of learned to pick my battles a bit That's and right, also yeah. pick my pick my battleground <laughs> because I think... What's as conversations moved online, I, I think we've started to use online conversation as a measuring stick for how people are feeling, mm-hmm. ignoring the fact that all of the quiet people in the middle of any conversation have just gone very quiet on a lot of subjects. So we're trying to measure a conversation by the only people left speaking, and those are the ones on the extremes. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a crazy way to measure what the public is saying. Yeah. So. I've stopped talking about a lot of political stuff online, but only because I know I'm not good at it. I can't get my point across quickly and pithily. I can't then argue with the 40 people that will respond to one statement. I can't argue, and nobody's there to have their mind changed, including me. So I think I've sort of gone, all right, then if you're not good at it, stop banging your head against that wall. Mm. So talk about it in a show. That's what you are good at. So. Sorry. <laughs> I started Plastic, doing that Katie. instead. I know, I feel terrible. Oh, I know it's so. Now tell me the future for you mm. in comedy. Uh, how do you feel your show's going this year? Um, what do you think? What do you want to get out of it? And and where are you going? I'm really pleased with this year's show. I'm so delighted because. I mean, if you're not in the comedy world, you won't know this, but I was really worried that I had a lot of success last year off the back of the show about depression and stuff. But there's a thing in the Edinburgh Festival about the, the tragedy show is the one that gets you noticed. Yeah, 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 and, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, It did, yeah. but it was really important to come back to this for me to come back this year with a show that wasn't tragedy and go, it wasn't a fluke, it wasn't because I was emotional. Yeah. I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. Um, and I was a slow starter with comedy. I wasn't one of those people that burst onto the scene fully formed and brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's taken me a long time. Yeah. Um, and I'm comfortable with that. I think I'm a better comic for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year I wanted to come back with something that was tight, punchy, solid, accessible. 
because I would like to be a household name yeah. in comedy. I cannot see why I couldn't be. I'm really good at it. I'm, mm-hmm. I've got... I love a bit of ambition. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got so much ambition. But you know what? It's taken me a really long time to admit that. Yeah. And also to stop pretending I'm not clever. Mm-hmm. I think for a really long time in comedy, I played dumb. I think that's a woman. Yeah, because yeah. I, I didn't want to be alienating. And I thought, oh, if I, you know, I'm going to seem smart and preachy and all this stuff. And then the second I kind of went, no, do you know what? I'm smart and I can write smart comedy mm-hmm. and I don't have to be doing all these coy jokes about my husband <laughs> I can talk about political stuff everything's gone way better Yeah, I've got a couple of scripts that I'm sitting on that are sort of tantalisingly close to being somewhere Great. and I want to take some time and perfect those and develop them but I want to do everything yeah. I'd sort of I'd be like I'll be the next Stephen. What family, happened this year, though? Because you weren't going to come back originally, and then no. you completely flipped. And was like, no, 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 I do want that yeah. slot. I want my same room, take the same slot back. Do you know what? I was driving home from a gig, Cardiff Glee Club, on a on the, my last Chris, my last gig before Christmas. Yeah. And I was driving home, and because of my anxiety, I never sit in silence. I will always have music or most likely a podcast or something on. Sure. Um, to distract your brain. Mm-hmm. And I was driving home from Cardiff and I realised I'd got from the gig back to my parents' house for Christmas without switching anything on because I'd had a vague idea for a bit and I think the idea of the bit was... I think it was a bit about feminism and about how... Uh, it, which, which sort of parts of it have ended up in this show but the idea of it, what was it? It was something about how women always get set up as though we're competitive with each other and we don't get on with each other. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of thinking, like, and men famously aren't like that, which is why if you go into any town centre anywhere in the country, there's a statue of a famous military man who just popped over to another country to say, well done, I'm not threatened by you. Mm -hmm. We can all live together comfortably. And I was sort of mulling over that idea. And then I thought to myself, well, I'll keep mulling on this over Christmas and then I'll drop you guys an email after New Year and if you've got a room I'll go and if you haven't I'll just mull this idea for a bit longer yeah. and then you had a room yes. so I wrote it <laughs> good on you yeah. I'm so glad you did yeah me too me and too. the option for the drama you've done for TV is that the is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that's one of them. So it's all on netball, which I think is a really great subject to have something written oh, on. Oh, netball? Yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about Netflix. I was thinking it's changing things. No, no, netball. Oh. It's, um, it's about a sort of women's netball team that come together, like a sort of amateur netball team that sort of forms from ragtag women with yeah, nothing on. better to do in their community. Um, so I've It's a comedy that. drama. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a, an hour-long comedy drama. I'm really proud of it. I'm really, I've been working with a brilliant producer who's helped me take it from a sort of flabby ball of funny lines but mess to a really tight, well-set-up idea. And then yeah. I've got another one just bubbling, which is much more juvenile. Um, <laughs> and your first novel... Yeah, I wrote that a few years ago now. It's not published, but I keep thinking... But this is the thing. I've got all these projects that I need to finish them and self-publish that, but Mm. every year Edinburgh takes over all of your writing and creative space. So so I want to do next is kind of go, right, all these things that are half done, they need finishing. They need polishing and throwing out into the world and then they can do what they like. Is that a fiction novel? Yeah, the idea of it is it's the end of the world, but nobody's died. Everybody just knows it's over, and they're kind of like, time's stopped, and um, Jesus comes back, and 
he's paused the world because this village are not getting on very well. And so he says, if I can't get this village to work, I can't get the world to work as a project. Mm-hmm. So Jesus comes back and has to fix this fighting little Somerset village. Are you religious? No. No, but I was raised quite religious. So I'm sort of interested in it. But no, it's much more uh, like Neil gaiman style than religion, religion. Mm-hmm. I don't really like organised religion. I think it's very oh, problematic. No, indeed. I like sort of spirituality and all of the basic mm-hmm. message of all of them is like, be nice to each other. Yeah. And then somehow it just makes more tribalism and you go, oh, God. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, we think that all these things will happen yeah. and you're going to have amazing success. And thank you very much for coming back to the Gilded Balloon. Thank you. Yeah. And keep doing your shows, you writing back. your shows, and good luck with family. Thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> thank you, Laura. <laughs> <laughs>